could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brebber, and alongside me is Logan Camden, and today is a pretty big day here at Nerd Sesh, and perhaps an emotional day in some ways. I don't know about you, Logan, but I'm already drenched in tears. It's going to be our last in-studio show at the Bill Austin Radio Studio here for Blaze Radio ever. Moving on to a different chapter, Nerd Sesh will remain, of course, the content will keep on coming, but this is the last time that we'll be doing it here. Logan, how does that make you feel? Feels pretty good. You know, I'm dropping some dead weight off over yeah, here. Um, I agree. Trimming the fat. Oh, Gotta man. get the toxicity out of life. Um, I, it's Carson. We started from very humble beginnings, uh, shooting podcasts here, talking about you know Carl Eller and uh, <laughs> random uh, some of the best NFL players from each NFL franchise. Um, I'm proud of what we've done here, my man. Uh, we, we've done a lot, but uh, as Kobe said, uh, after taking a pretty big league in the finals. Job's not finished. Job's never finished. We're still going to be putting in work. We're still going to be putting out content. TikTok, sure. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever sure, you like wherever you such like content. Sure. Um, but yeah, it is the last uh, last time in the Bill Austin studio. Um, it's a very melancholy moment, Carson, if you ask me. It is. I mean, we got the mansion in Malibu. We got the Maseratis. We got the milkshake machine. We got the money. We got the margaritas. Although we are 20. I blew up and then I acted like I didn't know nobody. Yeah. Did you notice how many straight M terms that I threw together there? That's impressive. Keep going. Thanks. Marshall Mathers. Malcolm. <laughs> Malcolm. The Milkman. Um, Mookie Betts. Mookie Blaylock. Really great radio content <laughs> if you ask me. All right. Anyways, we'll probably reflect a little bit more at the end, but I wanted to open the floor for you in case you wanted to just lean back on the couch and talk about your feelings, which you kind of did. So we are really uh, almost at the end of the first round here. We have every series but one now concluded. And so we'll reflect on what we've seen on some of those. We'll preview a second round series. But before we do that, let's talk about the one series that is still going on, at least as the time of our recording here live. Grizzlies, T-Wolves, we've got Game 6 tonight. Obviously, has been a super painful series for Minnesota, just given that they nearly had two of their three losses in the bag as wins, it feels like. But what are your thoughts on that series right now? Yeah, um, it devastated, two very devastating losses. Obviously, like you mentioned, the, the massive blown lead. And then just the just the choke job at the end of this one. Cat silences the crowd, and then John Morant just goes crazy. Uh, we can talk about uh, a lot of people are going to point to that last play and blame Anthony Edwards. Um, you know, Chris Finch designs a great play at the end of that game. You get a double screen, top of the – or they inbound to Cat. Uh, McLaughlin inbounds the ball, gets it at the top of the key, rolls off. Uh, Ant gets a pin-down screen, rolls to the corner. McLaughlin throws that bounce pass. Ant hits a big three. And then on the other end, Ant gives it up. Very stupid rookie move. Um, you hate to see it happen. Uh you know, just just tries to get the steal, tries to make a big play when he needs to stay in front of Jaw. Um, I believe Jaw scored like 13 straight points to end the game, and I mean, that was kind of one of the big takeaways for me. Carson was that I mean, it's just it matters having the best player on the court mm -hmm. um, in those moments, and Jaw can just fill it up. He can get to the rack at will. Minnesota's done an excellent job of keeping him out of the paint for most of the game, man. But when the game's on the line, uh, Jaw's taken over. So a lot of people are going to point to that final play where Anthony Edwards goes for that steal and you know make a big thing out about that. My biggest thing is uh, how Brandon Clark has just eaten on the glass the entirety of this series. Mm -hmm. and I mean, in this last game, Minnesota's been great rebounding the basketball, but when it matters, 
Uh, when Memphis needs second-chance points, Brandon Clark has been eating, man. Carl Anthony Towns just stands flat-footed there watching the ball come off the rim, waiting for somebody else to show up. I put a lot of blame on Cat. Um, like, uh, Brandon Clark has been terrorizing uh, Minnesota on the offensive boards, and that's what it came down to. And that big, blown lead in, what was it, Game 3? Mm-hmm. Uh, was that the big comeback from... Uh, Correct. Yeah, in Game 3, that was what happened. In the fourth quarter, Minnesota could not get a defensive board. In this game, as the game uh, goes along in the fourth quarter, could not get an offensive rebound. I mean, could not get a defensive rebound. That's been my biggest. Uh, that's been my biggest issue with Minnesota. Man, is crashing the boards late. They've been getting destroyed. Um, and Cat has not played like the best player on the court in late game scenarios. Ja has been that guy. And um, I feel bad for Minnesota fans. This has been a feisty series, and they've had like I mean, the series could be over right now if they had just closed out. But mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I put it mostly on offensive rebounding on effort late in games, and Ja just going berserk. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can sort of look at the theme of this series throughout, and in some ways it's just the T-Wolves beating themselves in certain spots and not doing some of the little things. I mean, if you just look at some of the broad markers of discipline, of effort, things like that, the T-Wolves have 18 more turnovers in this series. They have 23 fewer offensive boards. They've gotten to the line significantly less, which is just sort of a way to generate that easy offense for yourself. And so it's just some of those trends that you see developing. And I think a lot of people have talked about the decision-making of some of the T-Wolves' primary ball handlers in those final moments. Like I think that was just a brutal last shot that they got from D'Lo, where he takes that super highly contested mid-range jumper out of isolation. And you have just a couple cracks at it in those final moments where Cat doesn't touch the ball, and it's just like you need a little bit more intelligence there. You need a little bit more direction. And I think that you look at a team that has blown two major late-game leads, and that seems to be aligned. And a team that is obviously among the youngest in the entire NBA. I mean, outside of Pat Bev, there isn't a relevant player on this team really over 26 and so there is a lack of experience and of that veteran aspect to this team. But still, I mean, it's just absolutely brutal because, I mean, they could have already wrapped this mm-hmm. thing up, and they should certainly be in position to clinch the series up 3-2 going home. And instead, it's like they are, again, the ones on their heels having to fight to stay alive. And it's a tall task because, like... I do believe the Grizzlies are the better basketball team. I think they're the more talented basketball team. I think they're a more complete two-way team, deeper, better coached, do have the best player on the floor most of the time. So it's like, for all those things to be true, you just feel the more that this series is prolonged, the more that it does lean Memphis's way. And I will say, I don't feel like there's a big gap between these two teams right now, and there certainly hasn't been in this series but it's just a very scary spot for Minnesota to be in, and I certainly would not expect them to get out of it at this point. I, I don't know if I really agree with you on that, Carson. I, I think these really? teams are really, like, really evenly matched. Like, I just yeah, think... but it's tough, man. It's tough to win a game seven on the road. Well, no, I agree. I mean, no, no, I, I don't disagree with the. I, I don't disagree with you saying that it's a tall task and how difficult it's going to be. Yeah. But in terms of talent and ability, like, I think these are two of the most evenly matched teams in the playoffs, and I think we've seen that. I just think that the edge has been. Uh, like I said, Memphis's effort on the glass and having John Morant. Um, another minute detail I want to mention about that last play where Anthony Edwards went for that steal. Mm-hmm. Something that didn't quite sit well with me. I didn't understand why Patrick Beverly wasn't out there, and I don't necessarily know if that makes a big difference again because Ant bites, 
Vanderbilt slides, Morant makes a tough layup. Um, I don't know if that makes a difference. It didn't quite sit well with me that Pat Bev wasn't out there just because it is a defensive possession. You want all five of your best defenders out there. Jordan McLaughlin stayed on. Um, That's just another small detail. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what do you think happens? Like, do you think Memphis closes this thing out uh, next game? I mean, it's very possible. I don't know. But I do think Memphis is winning this series. And when it comes to the overall talent point, I think we touched on this a lot, but Minnesota has more of the high-end offensive star power, undeniably, and especially when they're clicking. They have more lead, really high-level shot creation, and I think their role players have really stepped up and done a lot of good stuff throughout this series, but overall, I do believe that Memphis just has more really high-quality basketball players. But, yeah, it's not to say that Minnesota has been outmatched in this series, because they haven't at all. I think there's a strong argument to be made that they have been the better team for a majority of this series. I, have, I mean, yeah. outside of Game 2, really, they have kind of controlled pretty much every game. Or at least been in a very good position to win. So, it's not to say that they haven't belonged here and they haven't mm-hmm. gone punch for punch every step of the way. And that they haven't had the talent to make this happen if... They had done some of the little things, and things had broken right for them in some of those sort of make-or-break spots. But given that that hasn't happened, I don't really see the probable path at this point. So, I mean, what is what does Minnesota have to do differently? Like, what if you notice that, I mean, what, what, what big adjustments are you making for Game 6? I don't know that there's any stylistic adjustments really to be made. I think it comes down to the production they get from their lead guys. I mean, offensively, they are just going to come and go with those three. And D'Lo's been pretty rough scoring in this series. I mean, he shot 32% from the field. And Cat has had a couple of down games. He's also had a few really good games. I I truly think that that is going to be the defining element. It's just about consistent effort defensively, making sure that they're engaged there, like you said, fighting on the glass. But when it comes to their offensive production, I mean, they've shot the ball well from deep in this series. When their lead guys have been clicking, they've been humming overall. It's just like, what production do you get from Ant, D'Lo, and Cat? And I think it is the job of Ant and D'Lo to be efficient, to make good decisions, to get Cat involved. Because I do believe that if Cat just establishes himself and has the right volume of opportunities, he should deliver. Do you think these guys have been playing hero ball? Like, late in games? Yeah, I think at times. I mean, I don't know how else you would describe that possession from D'Lo. Like, that's just fundamentally bad basketball. To not even involve Cat, to not even get a screen, like get the pick and pop that has worked so seamlessly at times throughout this series and just creating open looks. And then even if Cat doesn't take the three, he's got the pump and go, and now he's coming downhill, and they got to help. And it's just like there's so many better ways to put pressure on a defense than having D'Lo, who shot 32% in this series, isolate against a good one-on-one defender. Yeah, 100%. I mean, D'Lo's not a guy that's very... He's not. He's got ice in his veins, though, I'll tell you that much. He's not explosive. He doesn't get downhill super fast. Like, uh, no, I completely agree. I I didn't understand. I mean, we were screaming. You were literally screaming at the TV when we were watching that game, get the ball to Cat, and I completely agree. Um, yeah, I mean, this is heartbreaking for uh, for Minnesota, especially with just how close they've been. I wanted to see it happen. I've got two friends uh, who go to ASU. Uh, shout out James Adams. Shout out Michael Donahue. Both are going to be at Game 6 in Minnesota. Uh, I am crossing my fingers for my friend's sake that they uh, uh, that they pulled this one out um, and enforce a Game 7. I want to see, to this day, like, I want to see Minnesota uh I want to see Minnesota pull this one out, dude. I think it's, I think it's just more interesting. I think it's more fun. Yeah, and it would be super fun. 
I don't think the talent gap is that far off. Don't get me wrong. I think either of these teams, because they're drawing, whoever wins this is drawing the dubs next, right? Yep. I think whoever wins this series is getting mopped by Golden State, not only gets close, but uh, I just think it'd be a good story for Minnesota, especially, you know, with how long it's been since they've won a playoff series. It would be amazing, but it kind of feels like the universe is opposed. Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely does. Unfortunately. But I agree. I mean, I think that the Warriors would be significant favorites, I will say. I think the Grizzlies probably have more of a path just because I don't think that the Warriors are particularly well-equipped to deal with Jaw. I mean, they got Draymond. And Draymond's not guarding Jaw. I mean, like, help side when he gets downhill. Like, I mean, I want Draymond protecting the rim. Yeah, but that's not ideal if you're talking about, you know— a 6'5 guy helping as, like, your... My point is they don't have anybody who can guard Jaw one-on-one. Not that there's a lot of those guys throughout yeah, the NBA. Say who can, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, they don't really have anybody who's going to offer resistance unless they play GP2 a lot, which I don't think that they're going to do at all. And I think that the Grizzlies are overall bigger and more athletic, and I think that their depth is more imposing. So there's a lot of challenges uh, that I think they could pose, whereas I don't think there's any world in which... What? Dubs have Jordan Poole. Don't care. Doesn't matter. Okay, well, I'm saying that I definitely think the Dubs would win that series, but the the Timberwolves would have no chance in hell. I mean, they would get the floor wiped. Warriors in five either way. Five. Dubs in five. I don't agree with that. But I do think that they would certainly be a, a comfortable favorite in either one of those series, even though obviously they are the lower seed against the Grizzlies. Yeah, shout out D'Lo and Dylan Brooks for being, like, atrocious, though, in this series. Yeah. Efficiency is not the name of the game for either of them. Uh, this... Uh, in the playoffs so far, D'Lo is third in um, in points per, like least points per shot, and Brooks is fourth in least points per shot. Shout out, yeah. nice ugly Triple J series too. I mean, that's the other thing is we can give the Timberwolves credit for putting themselves in position, but also uh, the Grizzlies just haven't played close to their best basketball. Like, outs- obviously, I mean, Bain uh, has been fantastic, but like, I would say, I mean, with the indicators that you got during the regular season, this could almost have been expected, though. Like, I mean, Brooks... Jaw to just struggle to actually finish. Not, not and... Jaw. I mean, it's a different beast in the playoffs when it comes to him. But, like, I, I mean, Brooks and Triple J, I think you could have expected this them to struggle. Like, I mean, they didn't I, shoot particularly well during the regular season. Yeah, They're this streaky. is really bad, though. I mean, yeah, you can expect inconsistency and this is a good for perimeter, sure. This is a good perimeter defense for Minnesota. Like, yeah. I don't know. I... I feel like we could have expected this, and I thought this was going to be the. This should honestly, this should have been the downfall of Memphis, mm-hmm. and it just hasn't been because Jaw's gone berserk in a couple of games at the end, you know, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. All right, let's move on to a series that just wrapped up. That is Suns Pelicans. There was a time, Logan, where I mean, we were basically calling this fifty-fifty. I took the Suns to win in seven after Game Four. You took the Pelicans to win in seven. So, what are your thoughts now that that's over? I'm glad the Suns pulled it out. I'm glad we're going to see D-Book get the, back to full health. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to see the Suns go out like this. I will say, um, I'm not the type of guy to like delve into conspiracy theories or anything. Oh, Carson, do. Uh, this was a very poorly officiated game. Um, and again, I don't want to be quick to like pull the rigged card out. A lot of guys for New Orleans were very early into foul trouble in this game. Um just the refs were given a lot of whistles uh, to Phoenix early on in this game. Um, New Orleans went on a hot streak towards the end of the first half to get a uh, to get a decent lead. I believe they were up by either ten or eleven uh, at the end of the first half. Larry Nance got a tip in um, to put them up, 
And it looked like it was going to be interesting. Chris Paul goes unconscious uh, this entire game, you know, like 14 of 14 or 13 of 13, something like that throughout this entire game. He was elite, but late in this game, man, there was just this one foul that really stuck with me. Again, a lot of guys were in foul trouble early. Um, It was when Chris Paul drove to the rack on Jose Alvarado. um, And... Chris Paul, like, elbows Alvarado in the face and then flops to the floor, and they Mm -hmm. give the foul to CP3. Alvarado was literally bleeding from his mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he goes off and shows it to the refs. They end up still giving the whistle to CP. And I just thought this was kind of symbolic of how this entire game was officiated. Like, again, I hate being that guy to blame this on the refs, but there were... There's a lot of really head-scratching calls. Adam Silver was in attendance for this game, you know... The free throw differential wasn't crazy, which is what everybody will point to. Um, but I did not like a lot of the whistles. Uh, I feel like they were on Phoenix's side all game. That being said, Chris Paul, massive game, 33 points, matched his season high. He does go 14-14, just could not miss, turned on the Jets. Book was off, you know, wasn't himself, clanged a lot of threes, but he hit a big shot late. Um I'm proud of I'm proud of what New Orleans has done this season, though, Carson. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of what they did in the back half. Because if there's one thing that I noted throughout this series, it's just that New Orleans hustles, man. And I think Alvarado is kind of the embodiment of that. Like, Alvarado played, I want to say, like 30 minutes in this last game. I mean, got a ton of burn. Yeah, played 31 minutes. Played great defense on CP. Was hustling his ass off. Was playing just smart basketball. And that's just... I thought he kind of embodied the entire team, man. He... This is a New Orleans team that just hustled and grinded throughout this entire back half of the season and throughout this series, and I'm proud of what they did. To, even without D-Book, to push them to six games, this was really impressive, and they made me think that they could win this series. And I still do think, even in this last game, they had the two best shot creators on the court with a hobbled Devin Booker out there. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul just went off. Um, See, so yeah, I'm glad they pulled out. I thought the whistle was a little crazy, but uh, I- I'm proud of what New Orleans did, man. They showed me a lot of grit. A lot of intensity, and I really wonder if they can be real contenders next season with a solid offseason, and if mm-hmm. Zion Williamson can get his fat ass on the court. <laughs> I think the officiating point is an interesting one, and I'm sure you can point to individual moments, but I will say overall, the Suns shot 60% in this game. They attempted 18 free throws, which was fewer than the Pels, so it's like, I don't know. It. I don't know that I would point to that as being particularly impactful in determining the outcome of the game i feel like we didn't really address enough there how insane it is that chris paul was 14 of 14 in a basketball game like that is i believe a playoff record for the most makes without a miss Mm-mm. no uh there's somebody else I, I saw the stat there's somebody else who had more but this was the most in the um, shot clock era or something no 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 this oh. was the most uh like it wasn't the most consecutive but it was like the most to start a game you know what i mean so like I think no, been, I don't. I think there have been somebody who had missed a field goal and then like made more consecutively, but this was no. That's what I said. Perfect game. I think this is is this not the most without a miss? ESPN posted. I'm gonna look on Twitter. Anyways, yeah, I mean it's just a masterpiece, and I think it's really impressive to see when he does kick into that gear where he can just go take over score. And obviously, it's not every night like. We've touched on, but this is such an impressive series from him overall. I mean, to finish averaging 22-11 and 11 on 57% from the field, like, at 36 years old, I just don't know how the guy does it. He is uh, immortal, it would seem. Yeah, so, um, including regular season and playoffs. So, yeah, I think it is a playoff record. The only player with more makes without a miss in a game is Wilt. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, this is great. I think you touched on it, like, 
This was an awesome run for the Pelicans. Super impressed by what they did. But at the end of the day, if we hadn't seen the Suns going forward, that would have been wrong. It would have been a robbery given the season they had, given that Book is now back. And I'm very excited to see what they can do going forward. And I think certainly they are going to be comfortable favorites against the Mavs, I would think. And, oh, do you not? A furrow of the brow? I don't I know, think man. They will be. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna go six at least. I think it's a really good series. Yeah, I, I would pick it to go six, but I would be surprised if the Suns don't win. Quite surprised. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna have to see how D book looks. Like D book. Yeah, was, that's a variable. D book was really off in this game. Was taking just kind of catch and shoot deep threes, mm-hmm. pulling when he wanted to. Again, made a big shot. Made one of the most important shots in this ball game. But I'm gonna have to see what D book looks like. Like, you just you're not gonna get this out of like they needed. They literally needed a perfect Chris Paul game. If Chris mm-hmm. Paul was not perfect, yeah. they do not win this game, and we're getting a game seven. Like Brandon Ingram was picking the defense apart, was making plays. Like, he did have six turnovers. Um, playing great basketball. Also, the Pelicans listened to me, Carson. Did they? They played Trey Murphy in crunch time, and he made a couple <laughs> of big threes. Yeah. And I was like, thanks, because I will say Larry Nance played a great game. I've been very critical of him. Played pretty solid defense. Was great on the glass, uh, making hustle plays. It was plus 10 in Larry Nance Jr. minutes, but Trey Murphy made some big shots down the line. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, though. I, Heavy favorites is kind of I, I don't think I can go that far. I think it's I, I think it's going to be six or seven, man. I think I don't think Dallas is going down without a fight, man. Um, I think I would I think I would lean Phoenix, but I think it's going to go six or seven. And also, mm-hmm. for you stupid people out here, I I don't know. I, I, this is what Chris Paul does. Like again, I don't think we could have ever expected a game like this. But the people that were so critical of him after um, the four point performance, mm-hmm. this just goes to show you, man. The floor was opened up. It was Alvarado versus him one-on-one all game long. D-Book was out there, and I will say, D-Book didn't play a ton of minutes, but late when they put him on the floor, you couldn't drift off and double Chris Paul. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Devin Booker just being out there opened up the floor a little bit more for CP. And, uh, like, don't get me wrong, a ton of credit to him. It was a master class, him working out of the mid-range. Just genuinely beautiful. Uh, some of the shots that Chris was putting up, like, didn't even, net didn't even move. Mm-hmm. It was just butter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, D-Book's just influence and gravity of being out there. They couldn't play that help defense. Um, also in this last game, dude, what a game from Macau Bridges. Yeah, um, unbelievable. Made life really hard on B.I., whoever he was on. Just I, 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 Macau Bridges masterclass, too. 44 minutes on the floor. Just made life hell on whoever he was guarding. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a really good game from Phoenix. But I mean, I just think it's really telling that it was so close and... This is almost a perfect Phoenix game um, outside of Booker not playing well. You know what I mean? Everybody else pretty much yeah. played perfect. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Bridges, and it's kind of a crime that we didn't bring him up sooner because this is uh, a spectacular series from him on both ends of the floor. And you mentioned the stellar Game 6, but Game 5 he had 31 on 17 mm-hmm. shots and was just suffocating defensively. Like, I mean, he is among the most valuable role players in basketball and uh, maybe people would consider it even somewhat disrespectful to refer to him as a role player i wouldn't i honestly think a majority of guys who aren't stars are role players right i mean he fills a role just like deandre ayton does they have pretty clearly defined responsibilities but i thought he was able to step up and assert himself and actually go out and get buckets when they needed him to but also score hyper efficiently within the flow of the offense and then just excel on the defensive end of the floor. I think that 
I don't know. How high up would you take Bridges if you're just trying to build like a title-winning team? I think he's got to be like a top 40 guy, right? Yeah, I would well, say... Well, maybe that's high. I was, There's so I, much I, talent. I honestly going to say maybe... T- I think he could stretch to top 30. I mean... McCall's just a winning player, dude. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. There's value in in a guy that just plays a role like McCall does. Um, I mean, he's essentially perfect at it. Like, yeah. No, he's he is an elite shooter. He is an elite cutter. He can get his own bucket well enough. He obviously has like every tool defensively, especially if you're putting him on guards or lean wings. He can attack closeouts. He's decent yeah. out of the pick and roll. Like, um. He's a dog. I think, I mean, is there a conversation to be had about, like, where he ranks among three and Ders all time? Yet? Like, I mean, like, I don't mean to, like, I don't want to say, like, Scotty or, like, I mean. Wow, let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> let's definitely not do that. Would you take him or, this is a genuine question, you tell me if I, it's stupid, uh, him or Bruce Bowen? Oh, I think unquestionably Bridges. Yeah, Bruce I think Bowen so, too. Bruce Bowen had no offensive game. Exactly. He was spot up in the corner. And he wasn't Is McCall the best 3 and D player in the NBA today? Uh, I mean, obviously it's weird because you're kind of just like drawing a line somewhere. There is no official 3 and D categorization, but I can't think of a guy who I would classify into that role who does it better. I completely agree. Yeah, and and honestly, he might kind of be in a class of his own in that respect. The guy is tremendous and also got to give a lot of credit to... uh, Obviously, Aiden for stepping up and producing at a really high level in this series. Yeah, he also knocked in a couple of mid-range Js. I literally cringed on my couch watching it. I was <laughs> like, please, Aiden, just pump fake and pass the ball. And he actually hit him in Jonas's mouth. So uh, credit to him. Um, I want to ask after the series then, Carson, uh, are the Suns still your title favorite? Are you still rocking with them to win the title? Or are you going to flip over to the dub side? How are you feeling? If Book is playing at his apex... I still think that the Suns are a slightly better team than the Dubs. I think so, too. Um, But it's very close. It's very, very close. I agree. That's my distinction. I'm going to be mad if we don't get... I I am salivating at Suns Warriors. Yeah. I cannot wait. I'm crossing my fingers that we get it because I think they are so clearly the two best teams in the Western Conference. I'm I'm, I'm praying for good health for all these teams. And uh, I think because of the question mark on Book right now, uh, if Book is 100% in the Dallas series and we see that, I'm going to go with Phoenix right now. I'm going to go with Golden State just because it's up in the air. But if Book is at full strength, I think I'll rock with Phoenix. But I think it's a seven-game series either way. I know we're getting into hypotheticals, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I-, I can't wait. How much do you think this means for the Pelicans, just that they were sort of able to find this rhythm and identity and level and do something meaningful it's a this great, year? It's a great question. I think they should be reinvigorated. I think they yeah. should fire the team up. I mean, in... I mean, the bigger thing is just how the young guys have been playing, right? Mm-hmm. Herb was awesome on D-Book. Like, that was another component of why D-Book struggled. They stuck Herb on him all game, and he was making life hell on him. Poked a couple of balls loose. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I say something real quick? Yeah, sure. I saw some Suns guy. I don't want to take a stab at who it was without being certain, because I don't want to misrepresent anybody, but a guy who quote-unquote covers the Suns but is a fan tweet out something about how people who Herb was the primary defender of shot 51% in this series as a way to, like, discredit him. And it's like, look, man, I mean, are you really going to use a single series sample size for that? Like, just watch 
the game. You know, watch the intensity that he brings to the floor. Like, the man is an absolute dog. He has the physical tools. He's smart. He's incredibly versatile. So, I don't know. That just kind of upset me. Suns fans are so petty. Like, really, dude? You have to dunk on the second-round rookie who of the came eight, in of the eight-seeded Pelicans and balled out for an upstart team that was a fun story that your team still beat even though you didn't have your co-best player for three of the six games. It's just like it's dumb, and I thought it was a bad faith argument because Herb is a really, really good defender, and I just think it's about using good stats. Like I'll use that stat over a full season sample mm-hmm. size while still acknowledging that it's. Totally imperfect because there's variability with just your opponent's shot making, especially when it comes to like threes, right? Well, Oftentimes also, you might just be closing out well, on a guy and he makes a shot and it doesn't account at all for how you fit into a team defense and all these things. No, exactly. That's what I was going to say. That's what I hate about defensive field goal percentages. It is a flawed stat. If a guy gets beat off the dribble and you slide, that's going to count against you, even though it's not your fault that you got beat. Um, so it's an inherently flawed stat, mm-hmm. but also, yeah, over a series, it's just dumb. And Herb is, I, I, you left one thing out. Uh, yeah. To quote the great poet Kodak Black, Black ain't no punk in him. You know what Correct. I'm saying? Ain't no punk in Herb. Punk, uh, Herb is a dog, dude. He is, he is a he's a beast, and I, I thought he pl- had an excellent series. Uh, to go back to the question, I mean, I think that, I think if you're a New Orleans fan, I think this should bring you some hope. I think if you're a player here, it should bring you just, just be excited for what next season brings. Like, I thought... Again, I'm, I'm as big a Trey Murphy guy as they come because I'm a UVA fan. Trey Murphy had a great series. Herb Jones had a great series. You've got your star scoring duo of the future. And I have, I really like Jonas Valanciunas, man. I think you could win a title with Valanciunas as your big man. I mean that, dude. Uh-huh. I think he's I, maybe slightly overpaid. I think he's a total package. Um, in terms of just rebounding and passing, touch on the low block, playing smart basketball, I think he's that guy. Um and they kept their first round pick because they made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's what it's huge. So I, I'm, I think you should just be excited if you're in New Orleans, man. I think I think they got a very bright future ahead of them. They got a lot of young, talented assets. They've got a great duo. And I mean, if Valanciunas, if Valanciunas is your fourth offensive option, mm-hmm. that's really good. Do you, think, do you think this has anything to persuade Zion? Like, does he even care? I really hope so. How, like, dude, this should be. This should be what makes you want to get it should take the Mountain Dew out of your hand, get your fat mm. ass back on the court. This you should would be think what so. inspires you. Um, yeah, I'm skeptical. I am too. I just, I really still wonder if Josiah just wants to be here. I don't think he does at all. But we'll see. I mean, next year is the opportunity to go out there and prove it. It's remarkable, though, man. We have seen 80 games of Zion through three years and pretty spectacular 80 games. Has it been three years? Yeah. Played 19 games his rookie wow. year. What, like 63 or something last year? That's unbelievable. Or no, probably not even that many. But, yeah, he was out there for a majority of the season, so credit to him for that. All right, let's move on to Mavs Jazz, which wrapped up last night in just appropriately excruciating fashion for Utah Jazz fans with Boyan Bogdanovich missing a wide-open three. Oh, excuse me, he played 24 games his rookie year and 61 last year, Zion did. What were your takeaways from that series, Logan? 
Jazz just didn't. I mean, we talked about. I'm not going to bring up the defensive stuff because I mean mm-hmm. we already talked about that. Um, you can go listen to one of our older podcasts or just watch it. I mean, it's kind of plain to see when you're watching how atrocious this Jazz perimeter defense was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jazz just didn't shoot well. Conley shot 20 percent from deep. House shot 20 percent from deep. Mitchell shot 21 percent. Royce O'Neal shot 28 percent. Boyan 33. Clarkson 38 percent. Nobody shot well. Um, and. The Jazz offense thrives off threes. It was an excruciating close to this game. Um, as you mentioned, Carson, you have... I, I, you said this when we were coming out. We went to the movie theaters last night. Carson said, I think that's the most open look I've ever seen on a game winner, and I completely agree. I don't know if I've ever seen a more easier attempt to make to win a yeah. game uh, in my life. And Boyan just clanged it. Um, but, I mean, even on the series previous, Mike Conley gets downhill, has a chance to put a floater up, Um has a chance to to move the ball to shoot like the shot clock is going down and he gets scared he literally mm-hmm. stops plants his foot and tries to like spin out and kick the ball back out to I think it was Boyan and just doesn't get a shot up and it was just I don't know Mike Conley looked really really old in that moment and just kind of a, la- a brutal last two possessions to close out the game Mike Conley looked old all series I thought <laughs> Mike Conley looked old all season <laughs> No, but, like, this was a really bad series, bro. We averaged 9 a game on 33% from the field, 20% from 3, and sucked defensively. Yeah, and he's supposed to be the, I mean, what, the number 2 on this team offensively? Not nah, his boy on his, but, yeah, 3. Yeah. Like, you need him to pull his weight, um, and you just cannot pay him all that money. That was a uh, big thing that you touched on. We talked about, you know, what the Jazz need to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, move off those two contracts, make it work. But I think it's a really symbolic ending, Uh to Utah season, man. Um, Let me ask you something. Yeah, sure. Shoot. How much do we need to hold Donnie accountable for this? Because that's he's gotten so much praise for the monster performances, but you know this was just a volume effort with pretty brutal efficiency. So what do you think? No, I mean, it's a good question. That was the next thing I was going to say. Is, I mean, Donovan was trying to play hero ball most of the series. Mm-hmm. Just whenever he could put up a look. I mean, he shot 39. Or he shot sub 40% from the field and sub 21% from deep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, no, he needs to be held accountable. There was a, a lack of ball movement. Like, Donnie was just, I'm going to shoot. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most special shot creators in basketball. And I saw I saw someone today say he was better than Tatum or Booker, and I think that's just <laughs> slow. Better than Jason Tatum? Yes. I saw that How is that today. even possible? Um, you know, actually... I will say, my guy Carvel Teft used to often make that argument, but that was before Jason Tatum got a lot better. Yeah. I, not applicable here. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I mean, Donovan needs to be held accountable. Like, I, Gobert held up his end, I would say, defensively. As bad as he got beat off slides and stuff, I still put most of that on Utah's perimeter defense. Mm-hmm. Donnie didn't pull his weight offensively, and I don't think anybody did. Like, yeah... I think Donnie just got frustrated, if I'm being honest, bro. Like, I mean, he probably should have averaged eight to nine assists this game, with, I mean, this series with the way guys shot. And so I kind of understand it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Everybody was shooting poorly. But, yeah, Donnie, this is the worst I've ever seen him in the playoffs, maybe next to 2019. That was a really bad series, but he was young then. So, yeah, I, I think this entire team needs to be held accountable, man. And uh, I don't know, just a fitting – it's a really, really poetic ending, I think, for Utah with the last two possessions – Luca getting his first win. I don't know, man. I, they were your preseason, what? Finals pick. Yeah, finals pick, dude. It's just yeah. really disappointing. I feel bad for... 
I know a few Jazz fans. I feel bad for him, dude. Buying into this core every single year, running it back with two yeah. centerpieces like this. It's rough. It's a tough pill to swallow, but it's time to time to call Yosemite Sam, get the dynamite sticks out, and blow stuff up. Yeah, I mean, I think that, obviously, Donnie was so phenomenal in the last two postseasons, and part of that was just pretty sensational pull-up shooting from beyond the arc. Like, if you look at last year, he really didn't shoot very well on twos, but he was just unreal from deep. And then the year before that, he shot 52% from deep, and that's on super high volume. So you don't want to overreact to one series in which basically the difference was that the threes weren't falling. But he certainly took a lot of them, and they weren't always within rhythm of the offense. And it's just kind of a brutal way to go down because, you know, the margins were slim in a couple of these games as much as they did wrong. And obviously... <laughs> They had three opportunities to put themselves in excellent position because, you know, a certain Luka Doncic wasn't on the floor and they just didn't capitalize and they found themselves down 2-1. So I don't think we need to do the big picture thing with them anymore. I think we've established it. This roster needs to be seriously reconfigured. I think it goes much beyond a Gobert and Donnie issue, and I honestly don't think that's the primary thing. I think it is devoting so many resources when you talk about 40 million combined to Boyan and Conley next year and obviously a massive Mitchell deal to guys who just are going to completely inhibit your perimeter defense and uh, we'll see what they do but I think we can agree that we are not seeing this version of the Utah Jazz ever again and if we do I mean I don't know I just feel like their fatal flaws were actually exposed last year Again, it felt kind of like a matchup thing. And this year, they just regressed as a basketball team. Not that you would have any insider knowledge on this. I but probably do. <laughs> if you're Quinn Snyder, are you coming back next year? Yeah. I think when you have a talented NBA team, you tend to come back. I just, it's just got to be demoralizing. I mean, where's man. he going to go? The Lakers? <laughs> Was an assistant coach there at one time. Yeah, uh, the Lakers? Do you want to go coach the Lakers? I just mean, dude, like, this. Just, he's been here, what, nine years now? Like, it's just got to be taking a toll mm -hmm. on him. Just, it just feels like you're hitting that, you know, that ceiling every yeah. year. Sure, but it's an NBA job. I don't know. Guys don't tend to walk away. Yeah, I think Quinn Snyder should become a podcaster. I like that a lot. I think he should become an international supervillain. He'd be great. <laughs> kind of looks like one. I think he should, become a, I think he should become a tailor, a suit salesman. That would be dope. I would also support Quinn if he wanted to do that. What do you think this means for the Mavs? I mean, you talked about thinking that they're really going to make it a series with the Suns, but what do they take away from this? What do you take away about their performance? Um, I don't know. I, mean, I guess that you just have, like, a really good tandem and group of guards here, man, that I believe in in playoff basketball. If it's Brunson, I'm, and I know Dinwiddie had his ups and downs in the series. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in tough situations, Dinwiddie actually did not have a great series, but he had his games, 36% from yeah. the field, 29% from deep. But he was there when they needed him. I mean, I just you just believe in the top guys. And he had fun. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope both teams have fun. Yeah, every time. Um, I, I, big things, dude. Like, you have a you have a really solid core moving forward, and I I mean that like with DFS, with Brunson, with Doncic, and again, these aren't stars, but like Brunson and DFS are two of the best role players in basketball. Mm -hmm. I throw Kleba in there. I do think there's just a. I think you're right. I think there's a talent deficit when you're talking about them head to head against the the uh, Suns, and it kind of does bring into the question about you know after they lost Kristaps, it's like wh where do you get this second star from? How do you make that happen? Because I do think that I still think. Are you in agreement with me? I still think Dallas needs that 
that second guy, right? 100%. So that's kind of my big thing is just that I don't know how very similar to Atlanta, I don't know how you get that guy mm-hmm. for your star partner when you're so good already. Um, but you've got a solid foundation here, and you got some guys you can count on. I don't know, man. I There's always just going to be a cap on this when you're at a talent deficit like Dallas is. Mm-hmm. But you can play some fun basketball. Yeah, I think that we can explore the dynamics of their specific matchups with the Suns ahead of that series on our next show. I think that it's going to be interesting to me to see how their defense holds up because obviously this has been a great defense down the stretch of the year. I do still think, though, in terms of personnel, it's not great. Like, they really play hard. They complement each other well, but I just wonder if there's a ceiling with that. Uh, I wonder what level Brunson can sustain as a shot creator because, I mean, he was unreal, dude. Like, you really can't even kind of wrap your head around the fact that Jalen Brunson averaged 28 a game in this series. Yeah, you can. can. Okay, well, let's not act like you're the only Jalen Brunson super fan around here. I was hyping up Jalen Brunson very, very early on. I've always loved that man. But that's crazy. That's insanely impressive. But they won't need him to do that against the Suns, but they will need him to be very good. And so, I don't know. I just think the Suns are bigger. They're more athletic. uh, They're better defensively. I do wonder if the Aiton matchup is an issue. I mean, I tend to think that if you put somebody who's enough of a dog on Aiton, then you can kind of give him some trouble. But I don't know if... Dwight Powell is there, and then in the non-Powell minutes. I don't know. I wonder if they're too small to counter that and if that could be a problem. But I think they'll certainly make it a series, and I think Luka's ability to generate great offense and the shooting and the secondary creation of Brunson and Dinwiddie will be enough to make it certainly competitive. Yeah, and I think another big thing is I know Luka was only out there for three games in this series. I think Luka got a major monkey off his back this game, uh, this series by finally winning one. You know what yeah. I mean? To, I, that's huge, and that's huge. That's super exciting for him. It's about time. Yeah. Again, I still think I, I don't know if it still stands after this series. You know, coming into this all-time leader in points per game for the playoffs and turnovers per game for the playoffs, it's just good to get it off his back because, you know, people, Carson. You, you, you oh, get, I know people. You get <laughs> you get three playoff, uh, you know, first round exits in a row, and you build the narrative all you know, empty numbers, empty numbers, this and that. Whatever. Yeah, really? Did people even say that about Luca? Could you possibly look at yourself in the mirror and say that? Stupid Cracka, people. Cracka, you know basketball fans. Yeah. You know Twitter heads. Yeah, I mean, it's ironic because it's obviously the least impressive of his three playoff series performances so far, but very good for him to get one. I mean, the guy is obviously an all-time level talent. It'll be interesting to watch him match up with Bridges, too, because, you know, I tend to think very few people can really impact Luca. I mean, he's so in control at all times and versatile as a scorer and can impose himself physically, but Bridges is a hound, and I know Suns fans think that he's like the nightmare matchup for Luka, so we'll see. All right, we had a couple other series wrap-up. Raptors Sixers, Warriors Nuggets. Felt like we kind of explored those enough previously, and we only have so much time. So let's look ahead to the one series that we won't get to preview before our next show on Monday because they tip off on Sunday. Celtics Bucks, Logan we obviously both anticipated this one before the playoffs, but now that we've seen such an impressive version of this Celtics team with Middleton status, what's your prediction? What are your expectations for this series? 
Uh, I think the series goes seven. Um, mm. Middleton is expected to be out for the entirety of this series with an MCL sprain. Yeah, that's concerning. Uh, I think I'm leaning Boston in seven, actually. And, like, I just don't think they can do it without Middleton, man. I think if there's one team in these play, I think there's two teams in these playoffs that can, they can maybe slow down or stop Giannis, and that's Miami and that's Boston. Boston has still the most versatile lineup, uh, versatile defensive lineup in basketball. They can switch everything. They can switch off. They can switch out of the pick and roll. And I just think that I think the X factor is going to be uh, Milwaukee shooting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Giannis is still the best player in the NBA at creating open threes for other people. And it's just going to be, can guys knock shots down? I They certainly have the personnel uh, you know, to beat uh, Boston. That's why we picked them out of the East. It's just, are they going to be able to make shots? You know I mean? You need... I don't know, do you need, like, Jordan War? Like, I don't know, you're going to need somebody to step up. Boy, uh, I hope not. Yeah, I, I hope not, too. <laughs> you need Grayson Allen to play well. You need Wesley Matthews to knock down shots. Uh, you need Drew to play better. Um, and you just need guys to knock down shots. I, I, I hate saying that is like that is the most boring key that I could come up with for a series, but I really do think it rings true in this one. Um, so you think it's going seven, given the reports that Middleton very well may miss the whole series? Yeah. That's a thing. That is something that scares me about because Milwaukee's still going to play that drop coverage style and Boston can shoot them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still think it. I just don't think. I think Giannis is going to boss up when it matters matters most. I mean that. It's interesting. I would set the over-under for games at five and a half without Middleton. And so what's your prediction? I'll go Celtics in six. Say they finish it off on their home floor. Give a little respect to Milwaukee. But I just think... The Bucks are now lacking a bit in terms of high-level creators because it just seems like a lot to me to ask Giannis to handle that entire load in terms of creating looks for others and obviously getting his own against such a great athletic defense that doesn't have to dedicate attention to Middleton, who is you know their most imposing perimeter shot maker and bucket getter. That's concerning, I think. For the Bucks, that's very concerning, and the Celtics have more options. Who I think they could reasonably throw at Giannis, mm-hmm. you know, in one-on-one coverage on a given possession, than anybody else. Like, you could easily, I think, live for possessions with certainly Horford. I think is a really good matchup. I think Robert Williams is a good matchup. I think Tatum, as a true wing. You know, I mean, he's going to get overpowered a little bit and whatnot. He's not quite that athlete, but he's among the absolute best wing defenders in basketball. Even, like, Jalen in a spot, if he has help, you know, is a strong athletic wing. I mean... And their team defense is so phenomenal. Even on a Grant Williams, bro. Yeah. Yeah, Grant will probably get, you know, his possessions out there. So, when you don't have the release valve that is Middleton, I worry about it a little bit. And obviously they have the shooting, but... I don't know if there's enough really high-level offensive threats on the floor. And I just think Point Blake, the Celtics have been playing as a better basketball team as of late. I think that the defensive level they've reached is unreal. I think Tatum is absolutely terrifying, especially given how he performed as a playmaker in that series against the Nets. And we know what his scoring level has been since the All-Star break. I don't know. It just feels to me like they're significantly better if Chris Middleton is on the floor. Like, I agree with you to an extent when it comes to just the machine, when it comes to Giannis's overwhelming impact and all the attention that he demands, but I just think 
I mean, who's the Bucks' third best player in this series now? Grayson Allen? Yeah, maybe Bobby Portis. Maybe, maybe Bobby, Bobby if he's really on. I don't know. That just feels like a lot to ask to beat a Celtics team that has such a humming top six guys and is so exceptional defensively and has that apex playing like a top eight guy in basketball player in Jason Tatum. I mean, this is an interesting question, and I'll pose this to you because I was talking about this on Hoops Tonight, the show I do for The Volume with my guy Jason Timp the other day. Obviously, there's so much talent in the league right now, and I don't think either of us, well, you more than me, actually, I should say this, I don't like to prematurely crown people. You can be a bit excitable, Logan, and I think you would admit to that. But, like, at what point do we have to look at Tatum and say, like, you know, is he's knocking on the door of being, like, a top-five guy? Or, like, the terms that I put it in is, how big is the gap between Jason Tatum right now and 2019 Kawhi, Kawhi being widely considered a top 20-something player of all time, that run being considered one of the most impressive individual performances ever, he being considered, like, the apex two-way wing. Like, if you look at the production, I mean, it is remarkably similar. Tatum maybe even has an edge as a playmaker right now. Kawhi has a slight edge defensively, but is... I mean, Tatum's really, really damn good defensively right now. Like, certainly all defense level. Maybe Kawhi has a little bit more of that imposition just in getting to his spots at will. But I don't know. Like, it's close. Like, I think that version of Kawhi is better, but I guess my thing is just, like, are we slow to acknowledge what Tatum has been doing now for a couple solid months? And, like, I mean, when you have a guy like that on your team, I don't know. It's just, like, he's one of the best players alive. There's no doubt about it. He can go to toe and knock on the door for being the best player, it feels like, in any series. It's not It's not ridiculous. <laughs> it's not ridiculous to say that. Um, Tatum still makes a few head-scratching decisions every game to me uh, in the way that Kawhi wouldn't. I, I, I think mm. Tatum's a better playmaker than Kawhi. Um, mm-hmm. I think... I do think he's already top five, though. I think he's already top five. In the wow. NBA. Okay. Hold up. Well, I mean, I thought that's this, massive. I mean, I thought this throughout the regular, well, at the at least at the end of the regular season, I thought Tatum was a top five guy. So give me your top five guys in the NBA. And so this is with, um, maybe not top. Maybe I'm stretching. Let, let, okay, let me run it down. Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. I'm probably taking Luca over Tatum still, even though what Tatum brings defensively. Mm. I might take Steph. Then it might be Tatum. Or no, KD, sorry. Tatum's probably seven then for me. Probably seven. I'm trying to think. I think Jokic, Giannis, Embiid are firmly above. Did you not say LeBron? Oh, I'm sorry. Eight then. Okay. I didn't say LeBron. I think LeBron is firmly above. Like, not in terms of if you were evaluating performance this season, maybe that'd be one thing. But if you're telling me I'm picking a guy to win a title, which means I think LeBron is going to be engaged defensively, then I am taking LeBron over Tatum still. Steph, yeah. But, dude, it's tough. Like, I don't want to understate the two-way impact that this guy is having. He is, like, the prototypical apex scorer, high-level defensive wing, pretty good playmaker, wildly efficient right now, dropping 30 a night like it's nothing. I mean, that's the... (laughs) Resume of a guy who, if he wins a title, is in the conversation for best player in the world. I don't think he belongs there. I think 
he still doesn't quite compare as an all-around offensive engine. I still think I agree with you on some of the decision-making stuff and you're making the game easy, but he has improved so much there. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how we view him if he is the best guy on a title-winning team because the Celtics could absolutely win the title. I do think with Middleton's status as it is, they are the best team in the East. They should be the favorite in the East. And I would give them a very, very legitimate chance against either the Warriors or the Suns out West. And, like, we'll see how we feel in a month or whenever we get there. But I don't think it's impossible that I would view them as the favorite at that point. Like, the only issue I can really conceive of with the Celtics right now is, like, their deep depth. But that doesn't matter that much at this point. It doesn't. Um, I'm not ready to... Okay, so maybe then that's the question. I mean, is two-way ability. Mm-hmm. Is Tatum the second-best two-way wing then? Third-best two-way wing if you want to keep LeBron in the picture? You know, third or fourth-best if you want to throw KD out there? Where do you have him among two... So you're two- considering Giannis a wing? Or... Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Would you consider Giannis a big? Consider Giannis Giannis. <laughs> I don't know. He's not either. I wouldn't call him a wing. Okay, But I so... wouldn't call him a big. He's Giannis. I think that he is a – it's so weird because it's like when you're talking about two-way players, it's like, okay, well, I think Kevin Durant is a better overall basketball player, but I'm almost inclined to say that Tatum is a better two-way player because if you take their floor on either end, and if it's whoever has the higher floor both offensively and defensively, I think Tatum is significantly higher just because he's a much better defensive player than KD. KD is good defensively, but Tatum is like pretty pretty darn elite at this point. So – it's tough because I don't think he's as good overall as LeBron or KD, but in the sense that people sometimes mean two-way, I think he has a case for the best. It's like when people said KD was. It's like when people said Kawhi was the best two-way player alive, but they didn't actually mean he was the best player alive. You know, like in terms of just being elite on both ends. And yeah, I think he is probably the wing in the NBA right now with Kawhi being out. <laughs> the wing. Yeah. He is that man. He is that wing. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting series, but I think we would need superhuman Giannis, phenomenal shooting from the Bucks, and probably some inconsistency from Tatum and Brown. It just feels like that machine is humming right now, man. They are clicking. They have such impressive defensive versatility. They're healthy again. Just feels like a lot. I mean, I do like the Bucks role, guys, but... They're not going to exert pressure on defenses. They're not going to create shots. They're not, like, meant to attack closeouts, you know, if you're talking about, like, the Grace Nows of the world. They're meant to shoot, and they can shoot the ball very well, but I don't know if that's enough. Yeah, I think it's going to be a battle. Um, I'm still working with Boston, though. Yeah. I think Boston's just been more 100%. complete. I mean, if you're... I mean, late I also games. think I also yeah, and I also think Milwaukee's defense is just a little more susceptible to getting beat than Boston's. I think mm-hmm. Boston's defense is just I can count on it rock solid every night in a way yeah. that. And I mean, so let's say that the Bucks are kind of getting embarrassed playing some of their traditional drop stuff with Brook or whatever, and they try to go Giannis at the five a ton. Well, your ability to do that personnel wise has now been damaged by not having Middleton out there significantly. So. I worry about all those things. I think the Celtics are just better, and I definitely am picking them to win. I'll go in six. All right. Should we spend these last few minutes just reflecting, Logan? Should we just reflect on life? Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. 
uh, this has been quite the journey that we've had here in the Bill Austin Radio Studio. We, first, first time ever in the studio, we were on Heat Check doing yeah. Total Transfer Island mm-hmm. with the great Peyton T. Gowler and Gabe Swartz, mm-hmm. Griffin Peters, yeah. Jack Johnson. Yeah. My first semester, I was on a show called NBA Roundtable with the now TikTok famous Amante Jones and good friends Vaughn Jones and Eric Ruby. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, we began it all in some podcast edit bays just across the way. I can see them now. We were doing all sports history stuff. We weren't even nerd session. We were talking basketball. True. We, we were, were hoop, hoop nerds. nerds. Yeah. Hoop nerds did numbers, too. Yeah, That's Hoop what... Nerds was a beautiful brand. Really nice logo designed by Logan Camden. <laughs> you could only hear our podcasts on a place called Mixcloud. <laughs> they had to be uploaded by somebody else. It really did know it was something else. Hmm? We ran numbers up, though. No, we did, but People... I'm just saying. It's fascinating. Think about how much it's evolved. Think about how much we've explored different forms of content. I mean, we didn't have mics pre-pandemic. We had to come here to do everything, do all our podcasts and whatnot. And uh, as much as I thank the Bill Austin Radio Studio in a lot of ways, Logan, we've outgrown the Bill Austin Radio Studio. (laughs) Not in the sense that we're better than it. Craig, are you saying we got too big for our bridges? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we have so many different ways to communicate to the people so many different platforms tiktok youtube podcast whenever we want live from our apartment across multiple different streaming platforms it's very cool but i think we can both agree that we're tremendously grateful i mean it's interesting a lot of you guys who are listening probably would might not even associate the show with blaze radio at all you may not listen you may have never listened on blaze radio you may just listen to the pod you may have found us from a number of different ways but this is really where it all started and uh, three years, you know, really only one and a half of them kind of in studio, which is crazy because of the good old pandemic. But a new chapter, Logan, a new chapter begins. As one door closes, another one opens. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, is that a Seinfeld quote? <laughs> I think Kramer said that. I, I read it on a poster in your mom's room. Okay, all right. Well, that's just utterly distasteful. Maria... I'm sorry that you had to hear that. She's listening. Probably not live, but in a couple days. I'm also sorry, Maria. I saw an opportunity. I had yeah. to take it. I could crack a your mom joke to close out our last studio yeah. that feels uh, about right. show ever. That feels about right. Carson. Shout out Scotty Gange. Shout out. That dude got me ready to run through a wall yeah. the first Blaze meeting Former I ever went to. Former sports director here at Blaze Radio. Shout out Gabe Swartz. Shout out Peyton T. Gallagher. Guys who we've had on as guests. Shout out Ryan Sakura. No. I just like that guy. I disagree. Um, I found him to be distasteful. Carson, much love, my brother. Right back at you, Brody. All right, well, as much as this is a uh, grand finale, it's really not because we'll see you guys on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you on TikTok even before then, but last time in the studio. So drink it in, you freaks. All right. Well, with that, as always, guys, you know where to find us. We've already talked about it. Listen to the pod wherever. Follow us across social media at NerdSesh on TikTok and Instagram at Nerd underscore Sesh on Twitter and Twitch. We'll be back talking to you guys about more playoff basketball very soon. But enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the basketball that is in front of us. And drink it all in because it's a whole lot of fun. So with that, as always, for the last time here in the Bill Austin Radio Studio, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was NerdSesh. <laughs>